0: God, we know that you're greater than him, and we know that you have something in store. And so today we ask that you flow freely, speaking to each and every person, as each one of us need to hear from you this morning. Let your anointing be real, and let your power flow freely, for it's in Christ's name we pray, amen. One of the most devastating effects that sin has on each and every one of us is how it affects us emotionally. Emotionally, sin can wreck a family. It can wreck a person, and it can wreck their life. And so I want to address today the effects of the sabotage of sin when it comes to the emotions of who we are. Um, Dr. S.I. McMillan, he said this in a book called None of These Diseases. He said, medical science recognizes that emotions such as fear, sorrow, envy, resentment, and hatred are responsible for the majority of our sickness. Estimates vary from 60% to nearly 100% of those who are affected from those emotional things that come with uh, what we recognize as sin. So let me add to that first by saying that the emotional effects that we talk about today are not those that have something to do with someone's mental health, okay? So if I make a statement, know that I'm talking about a group that comes directly as a result of sin, Um, So sin sabotages our emotions, and and we're left to sort through the brokenness that it leaves behind. Sin sabotage of our emotions was part of God's punishment handed down in the garden in Genesis chapter 3. In Genesis 3.16, this is God speaking to Eve. He says, To the woman, I will surely multiply your pain in childbearing. In pain you shall uh, bring forth children. Your desire shall be contrary to your husband, but he shall rule over you. And to Adam he said, Because you have listened to the voice of your wife and have eaten of the tree which I have commanded you, you shall not eat of. Cursed is the ground because of you. In pain you shall eat of it all the days of your life. Thorn and thistles it shall bring forth for you. And you shall eat of the plants of the field. But by the sweat of your face you shall eat bread till you return to the ground. For out of you it were taken. For you are dust. Into dust you shall return. So in that statement where God is, is really coming down on, on Adam and Eve for their, them being disobedient to the very thing that he told them not to do. We find that there's three effects that block us out from having great fellowship with God. And those are the three things we'll talk about over the next three weeks. Um, the one I want to talk about today is the emotional effect and how sin sabotages us through that. There was a part there that you probably heard. Your desire shall be contrary to your husband, but he shall rule over you. I don't know if you caught that, but in that statement, God is letting Eve and Adam both know what sin has just brought into their life. You know, the first emotion that they feel is guilt. When God comes to confront them, guilt, which is something they had never experienced before, because it is the direct result of sin, they begin to feel it. And God lets them know immediately when he begins to hand out the punishment for their disobedience. He lets them know that you two are going to be in opposition against each other. And with that opposition was the introduction of all these emotions that each one of us face now. Anger and jealousy and and we deal with all these emotions of unforgiveness and and, and all these things that come along with being in opposition of a person happen right here. And that's God saying that, that your desire shall be contrary to your husband. So the most basic and straightforward understanding of that verse is that woman and man would now have an ongoing conflict. Matter of fact, if you were to read that in the New Living Translation, it says, you will desire to control your husband, but he will rule over you. And so we find the, very, the introduction of how sin even entered into this world was through pride. And God calls it right there. He says, pride will want you to rule over your husband, but his pride will make him rule over you. And so in that moment, all of us became sabotaged with the emotional effects of sin. And so every day we wrestle like Paul does. I wake up and go, I don't want to be angry today, but man, I want to be angry today. Or I don't want to not forgive this person, but man, it's so easy not to forgive them. And all of that entered in in that moment when God began to hand out punishment. You know, God is saying that Eve would desire to rule her husband, but her husband would instead rule over her. Replacing this mutually interdependent relationship, the Lord had created was a desire for one spouse to lead the other. Prior to that, we first found that Eve didn't even have a name. She was just called the woman. Now, I will tell you from experience, if you continue to refer to your wife as the woman, she does not appreciate that. And Adam obviously learned that when emotions entered in. And so Adam said, I can't call her woman anymore. She doesn't like that. I'm just going to call her Eve because she's the mother of all things. And so Adam and Eve, in this moment where they had been interdependent on each other, there was no structure in place. All of a sudden, God put a structure in place. And with that structure came conflict. And with that conflict entered in emotions that now we face. So sin had brought this discord. And the battle of the sexes began. Both man and woman would seek to have the upper hand in marriage. And, And the man who was to lovingly care for and nurture his wife would now seek to rule her. And the wife would desire to wrestle the control away from her husband. In the sabotage of sin on humanity, it entered in this new layer of emotional struggles. And in the struggle became issues like guilt, and anger, and, and unforgiveness, and fear, and so on. And so today, we see that evident in our own lives as we experience conflict with those around us. Not only did those emotions enter between a husband and a wife, but they entered into society altogether. And all the emotional things that you see people battle with, it has nothing to do with them as individuals. It has everything to do with the sin nature that we inherited from our great, 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 great grandfather, Adam. These emotions are the adverse reaction to sin and, and we have accepted them as the norm. Like for somebody to be angry, that's just normal. Right? For somebody to live in fear, that's normal. But we found that God never intended for that to be the norm. As a matter of fact, he set out a plan to redeem us from that norm that we will get to. So these emotions, they're having an adverse reaction to sin and the sabotage in our life. And so I want to point out three truths um, that we need to know about this emotional sabotage of sin. The very first one is it is not the emotional sabotage of sin affecting your marriage. Excuse me. It is the emotional sabotage of sin affecting your marriage not your spouse. And I want you to get that, OK? Because it's not the emotional, excuse me, it is the emotional effects of sin sabotaging your marriage. Is not your spouse. You know, last week when we were closing up the service, I told you an illustration about what happened at the prison. And two guys were arguing before a service. And I told them, and after they concluded this argument, I, was, I told them, we don't fight against each other. The enemy wants to destroy you so to wreck the whole service. When we understand that in marriage, we begin to understand the differences that we have. When I have a disagreement with my wife, it has nothing to do with her as a person. and It has everything to do with the enemy wanting to see my marriage fail. So in the midst of a heated argument with your spouse, it's easy to blame them for all the negativity in your life. And, and we have this perfect picture of it in Genesis chapter 3. When God confronts Adam and Eve after their sin. And this new encounter now they have with guilt, they immediately wanted to blame for the conflict that had arisen. If you remember, the first thing Adam says is, it wasn't me, it was the woman. And when God looks to her, she says, it wasn't me, it was the snake. And immediately when sin entered into our world, the emotional effects of it automatically caused us to blame. And so when you enter into a disagreement with your spouse, it has nothing to do with that person and everything to do with the emotional effects of sin. The very first thing we do when conflict arises is to point the finger. This happened from the very first conflict. And I will tell you this in the book of Revelation, in all of those conflicts that we conclude our world with, we find that people are still pointing the finger. When God confronts Adam and Eve, the first thing they do is point the finger to others so God decided in that moment that he would establish an order. This would be a God-ordained order. This would be how he intended for a human race to run. And since Eve was kind of reckless without Adam by her side, he places her under the leadership of her husband, though her desire would be to control herself. Do you see the conflict there? God's like, Eve, when you were left by yourself, you were deceived really easy. I'm going to put you under Adam, but you're not going to want to be under him. And instantly there became a division between man and woman. And so when God does this and establishes this order, we find that he tells her, this is how I want things to be, but your, your attitude is not to follow suit. And so we look at, this, we look at the emotional sabotage that is so evident in our country today. And you know, you have the new surge of this feminist movement to control their lives and their bodies. And understand this, man, I, I love women. Woman, I should say. But I mean, I love like women around on the outside circle. Amen. See, is the air conditioner on or no? It's gonna... I love woman, but I, I love my wife and I love to see her empowered in those things, but We understand that God put a structure in place. And and so the the rebellion that you see in our country today is that no one can tell me what to do with my life and my body. If they do, that means that I'm not in control and and nobody can tell me. And so if you remember, just a few months ago, uh, there was a celebration on National Women's Day of a day without women. And I got to thinking about that. I was like, good gracious, if that happened in church, we had a day without women, We wouldn't have church, probably. There'd be like three of us here. We'd be like, well, I don't know what we're going to talk about. And so I understand the value of women. I understand that women are to be respected and cherished. And there's an undeniable value in women, but there's also a God-structured plans for family. And, And you wonder, well, why would you point that out on Mother's Day? And because the disruption in many marriages is the lack of fulfilling a role. God brought Eve out of Adam and therefore he placed Adam over Eve, not to be a ruler but to be her provider and a protector. To think of it in the simplest way, he put her in charge to not let another serpent enter into their family garden. He said when Eve was in charge, a snake slithered right inside of our family and broke it up. And so I'm going to put the man in charge and it's his job to be the protector of his family. And guess what? We'll stand accountable one day, men, for our very families. And God will say, you were to protect any snake from slithering into your family's relationships. Why didn't you protect them? And so so God puts that role in place for the man. And he was to not let another serpent back into their family garden. But when the emotional effects of sin slither into a marriage, it begins to create all kinds of havoc. And when jealousy controls your marriage, it creates division. And when guilt of past mistakes still hovers in your marriage, it creates doubt. And when we fail to realize who gains from failed marriages, we're on a dangerous road. You know, Huffington posted an article listing the top 10 reasons couples divorce, and here they are. Number one is getting in for their own reasons. Number two is lack of, an, excuse me, lack of individual identity, meaning that when you get married, you stop some of the lifestyle that you used to have before. You're disconnected from your family. Uh, number three was becoming lost in the roles. Number four was not having a shared vision of of success. Number five was the intimacy disappears. Um, Six is unmet expectations. Seven is finances. Eight is being out of touch, literally, meaning that you don't talk to each other like you used to. You don't say sweet things to each other anymore. Number nine is different priorities and interests. And number 10 is the inability to resolve conflicts. And and as I read those 10 reasons, what it really is, is a trap of emotional sabotages like pride, envy, and jealousy in the life of a marriage. Those are the underlying roots behind each one of those things. And so today, if you're having some rocky times in your marriage, you need to come together and realize the issue is not your spouse. It is the emotional sabotage of sin. Men, you need to establish your role in the marriage, not through dominance, but through love. You need to treat your wife like she's the queen. And she needs to know that you will protect her and provide for her when everything else fails. As a matter of of fact, the leadership example that husbands are given is Jesus Christ himself. And when you think about the love he had for the church, it caused him to sacrifice his life. And the call of men and the role of their husband in a marriage is that we are willing to lay down our life for our family if it means to. It means that if the enemy slithers back into my family's life, he would have to kill me before he got to my family. And that's the role that we're to take on. And women, do not allow, do not allow the pool of in- independency to fracture your marriage. You need to learn lean into your husband with love and willingness to follow his lead, trusting that he is following Christ's sacrificial example. When conflict arises, ask the question, who gains from these struggles? And then also know who loses. You and your spouse miss out on a God-ordained joy through marriage when you allow those struggles to rule. Your kids miss out on witnessing what a healthy marriage looks like. Men, your son does not see you illustrate what Christ's love for the church looks like. And women your daughter does not see you illustrate the church's love and adoration for Christ. When we allow the emotional effects of sin to destroy our families, we quickly see that it has everything to do with the enemy and nothing to do with us as individuals. Do not let the emotional sabotage of sin destroy your marriage. Talk with each other, pray for each other, and grow in God with each other. The only winner if your family, excuse me, the only winner if your marriage fails is Sadie, Satan. Satan. So don't stop fighting. The second thing is the emotional sabotage of sin affecting your Christian walk, not others. I told you the first result that we have when sin enters into the world is deciding to blame each other or blame someone else. So immediately when sin happens, the first thing they do is blame someone else. The emotions they felt they could not accept. And so those emotions controlled them into their decision making and ultimately into their blame. And too often we battle the same thing. Someone hurts our feelings because they too are affected by sin. And and to get back to them, we decide that we aren't going to church any longer. And our attitude is I'll teach them a lesson and they suffer none while the emotional sabotage of sin begins to destroy our lives. And so I challenge you to ask yourself this question, if you miss church, who wins? And I'll answer it for you. The answer is Satan. What he wanted in the initial sabotage of sin was to disconnect you from your creator. And now you're following the sabotage while trusting your emotions. And can I tell you that the longer you carry the emotional sabotage of sin in your life, the more that emotional sabotage sours who you are. You started off mad at the person, for what they did. And then as the sourness builds, you begin to look at the Sunday school teacher and go, you know what, they haven't even called me since I've been out. The next thing you know, you go, man, the preacher didn't even check on us when we were missing out. And then finally, you begin to look at God and go, where were you in the midst of all that was happening in my life? When we allow those emotions to take root in our heart and in our soul, we quickly find out The result of them is sabotaging who we are. And Satan wins because what he wanted was to disconnect me from my creator. And what just happened is I've been disconnected from God. The writer of Hebrews says in Hebrews 12, 15, See to it that no one fails to obtain the grace of God, that no root of bitterness springs up and causes trouble, and by it many become defiled. It's not others affecting your Christian walk. It's the sabotage of sin. And the longer it lingers, the more overly critical we become as a person. If you've ever been through unaddressed emotions, then you know how overly critical we can become. It is the biggest destroyer of churches as people criticize out of hurt instead of allowing issues to be addressed. How many times have you met someone not going to church? And you go, why don't you go to church? And they go, man, 78 years ago, this person called me a name and I, I just had not been able to get over it. And you look at a miserable, angry person and you go, but you're losing, right? It's not them that lose, it's you who's losing. When we allow that to go unaddressed in our lives, we find that it begins to destroy the very things around us. And that's what the writer of Hebrews is saying, is don't let bitterness take root in your life. Don't let those emotions sour you any longer. Because when it sours you, it causes trouble, and by it many others become defiled. So ask yourself this question this morning, what has you so bitter this morning that it's affecting your Christian walk? Because until you address it, you will remain disconnected from God. And not only will you remain disconnected from God, but you will remain disconnected from His church. Adam and Eve were quick to blame everyone when the problem lied within them. Their unaddressed pride aided them in their blaming game, and it led to the demise of their church. And I don't want that to ever be the case here or at any church. I don't want that to happen. One of my one thing that I have the biggest heart for is people who what we call is D-Church. Unchurch means that somebody's never really been engaged in church. D-church means I was in church. Now I'm out of church. My heart breaks for those people. Because I know just how easy it can be to leave church, right? When I was in some of my rebellious stages, I could remember blaming everybody for everything, right? Man, you don't understand, like, my mom didn't ever let me go to the movie theaters, and that's why I do this. And you don't understand, like, my, my, my dad wouldn't even let me look at a television show, better yet, something like this. And, and my whole life was blaming other people. When I went to youth group, man, they told me this, and I found that not to be true. And, and then the preacher said one time that God's always there for you, but I remember one time when God wasn't there for me. And the whole time in my rebellion, I blamed other people. Because I couldn't live with the emotions that were going on inside of me. If you've ever been through that, you know the emotions you're facing, it's fear. You're scared of what's going to happen if something, if you were to leave this earth. God, what would happen? And so you live in fear. And unforgiveness is taking a home and building inside of you and you say, I can't forgive them. And so instead of dealing with the emotions that we're facing from the sabotage of sin, it's just too easy to blame other people. And I don't ever want that to be the case here or at any other church. I want us to be a healthy, transformational, disciple-making church. And guess what? It starts with each one of us. We're doing it on Wednesday nights. You should come. We're doing a study on how, um, what's the name of the book? I am a church member. I am a church member. Um, And we literally only got through the first part of chapter one. So there's three more parts. Um, But the whole purpose of the book is to evaluate our role within a church And I hope that you know that you play a big role in this church here, but also the church in the bigger sense of God's people. Unforgiveness can be the most debilitating of all emotions, and it causes us to blame others for the disconnect we have with God. Have you ever met someone who did something brutal to someone else, and they still received forgiveness for it, and it just caused you to look at life crazy, right? You're like, "How, how does that even happen? I have two stories I want to share with you. I don't know you may remember this one from 2006. In the fall of 2006, the unthinkable happened when a one-room school of, excuse me, one-room school full of Amish children, was taken hostage, hostage by Charles Carl Roberts IV. After a few terrifying hours, Roberts bound and then shot 10 girls, killing five of them before, turning the gun on himself. Within hours, the Amish families immediately began extending their forgiveness to the gunman and visited his wife and parents to offer them comfort. They even attended the killer's funeral. A grandfather of one of the murdered girls cautioned the family not to hate the killer. We must not think evil of this man. While another father said, he had a mother and a wife and a soul, and now he's standing before a just God. I read a story like that, and I don't even know how to begin to process that. If someone were to ever lay harm on my kids, I go, how could I ever forgive them? But you'll find out the results of unforgiveness with this next story. In 1993, a mother lost her only son when O'Shea Israel shot him during an argument at a party. Her initial reaction was that she wanted justice. She wanted him to pay for his crime, which he did. And after serving 17 years of 25 and a half year sentence, he was released from jail and returned back to his old neighborhood, right next door to Mary. This was not by accident, but by a remarkable act of mercy. A few years prior to his release, Mary was overcome by the conviction to forgive him. So she set out just to do that through the course of several meetings. After some time, she was able to not only forgive him, but to help him upon his departure from prison. In fact, they don't just live close to each other. They're close in spirit. Mary gives God the glory with her ability to forgive such a tragedy. Unforgiveness is like cancer. It will eat you from the inside out. It's not about the other person. Me forgiving him does not diminish what he's done. He's, yes, he's murdered my son. But the forgiveness is for me. Just for me. When we allow emotions to go unaddressed in our lives, it begins to eat us slowly away. And unforgiveness the most debilitating of all of them, begins to destroy us. And we look to our creator and we say, how can you not intervene in this emotional battle I'm having? And we find that a forgiven God can't forgive an unforgiving person. And the emotional sabotage of sin begins to destroy our lives. And what started as such a small act has rolled downhill and created such a storm in our life because sin does not only sabotage us emotionally if we commit the act, but it does so when the act is against us and unforgiveness destroys us from the inside out. We're no longer able to function because we're consumed by this sabotaging emotion. And so how do we move forward? We have to first know that God can fix us. Paul says in Romans twelve one and two, I appeal to you therefore, brethren, by the mercy of God, to present your bodies as a living sacrifice, holy and acceptable to God, which is your spiritual worship. Do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewal of your mind, that by testing you may discern what is the will of God, what is good and acceptable and perfect." Our first way to ever get over unforgiveness is to submit ourselves to God, because we can not do it on our own. In the garden, we see that perfectly pictured. Adam and Eve could not let go of something that had happened to them. And what happened to them carried on into their next generation, between their two children. And out of that birth a nation that hated Israel, even to this day. Unforgiveness can wreck generations of people. And even when others hurt us, we have to learn that Not only do we submit ourselves to God, but we walk with God every single day. Why? Because the emotional sabotage of sin is countered by the fruit of the Spirit. Paul says in Galatians 5, 16 and 17, But I say walk by the Spirit and you will not gratify the desires of the flesh. For the desires of the flesh are against the Spirit, and and the desires of the Spirit are against the flesh. For these are opposed to each other to keep you from doing the things you want to do. And so Paul describes a very similar struggle that we read about in Romans 7. But Paul will go on to say in verses 22 through 24, but the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control. Against such there is no law. And those who belong to Christ Jesus have crucified the flesh with its passions and desires. We overcome the emotional sabotage of sin through the emotional replacement that the fruit of the Spirit offers. You want to know how to get bitterness out of your life? Allow patience and kindness and goodness to take its place. You want to know how to get unforgiveness out of your life? Allow gentleness and self-control to take its place. The fruit of the Spirit overcomes the sabotage. And instead of being disengaged in our walk, we become victorious through God. The last thing I want to say is the emotional sabotage of sin separates you today, not God. Our natural disposition is to push away God through separation. An example of that is found by just flipping one chapter over from chapter 3 in Genesis. And there we encounter a man who feels an emotion that is new and it breaks him. The Lord said to Cain, why are you so angry? It's the first time we hear the word anger in the Bible. Why are you so angry? And why has your face fallen? If you do well, will you not be accepted? And if you do not do well... Sin is crouching at the door. Its desire is for you, but you must rule over it. Do you see the tie-in back to what we started with? God realized that someone had to rule over sin. So he looks at man and says, you can't let it overtake you. Your anger can't drive you to the point where it consumes your life. You have to take control of it. Then in verse 16, we What happens in between there is Cain, out of anger and jealousy, kills his brother Abel. And then in verse number 16 we read "Then Cain went away from the presence of the Lord and settled in the land of Nod, east of Eden. It's so easy to blame God when separation happens in our life. Where are you, God? Why am I going through this? Why don't you intervene like I know you can But we find the emotional effects of sin, they're the things that separate us from God, not God. God had to look at at a man full of anger and separate him because of the emotions that overtaken his life. What separated Cain was the result of sin's sabotage. And today the separation and those feelings of being incomplete is the direct result of the emotional sabotage of sin in your life. You were created by God and for God. But the emotions attached with sin has driven us away. We feel like Cain, wandering in a wilderness, cursed by sin, waiting for the next obstacle to jump out and attack us. When God sent Cain away, his biggest regret was not asking forgiveness for what he had done. He didn't ever say, I'm sorry that I was full of anger. He looked at God and said, if you curse me, somebody's going to kill me. And God says, no, I'll protect you. But you have to be separated. And today all of us face that in the emotional struggles that we have, is that God has to punish that. And so his punishment is separation. And that separation, if you've never accepted Christ, is an eternal separation. That separation for us as Christians can quickly be mended through forgiveness and can quickly be mended through repentance. See, Cain wandered in the wilderness, cursed by sin. He was waiting for the next thing to attack him. But your blame of God for whatever you is misplaced. If you blame God for all that is wrong in your life instead of addressing it, who wins? Satan wins because he wanted you separated from God. This morning, if you're separated from God, I want you to know that he wants to reconcile that. That God looked down on the effects of sin on humanity And he realized that all it offered was spiritual death. And he said, I have to come up with a plan. So your emotional sabotage was placed on the shoulders of God as he hung on a cross. And there he exchanged your separation for inclusion. There he exchanged your death sentence for eternal life. And there he exchanged your guilt, your jealousy, your anger, your bitterness, and your unforgiveness for love, joy, and peace. So you don't have to let sin sabotage you any longer. Your marriage can win because God is the foundation. That unforgiveness can be kicked out of your life as your Christian walk begins to flourish. That this morning you can stop blaming God for your separation and run into the arms of your loving Father. That it's time to live again without the emotional effects of sin dominating and controlling our life. And simply put, it's time to come home. God wants to reconcile us back to the garden where he had everything perfectly plain. And today, no matter what you're facing, if you said to me, I'm telling you, my marriage is different. My spouse is evil incarnate. I would tell you that that's not the case, that it's not your spouse. It's the enemy. It doesn't mean that your enemy, the enemy is an influence in your spouse. I'm just telling you that we don't wrestle against flesh and blood. You may be here today and you go, no, my unforgiveness is deeper than those stories you read. You don't understand what this person did for me. I may not. But I tell you, there's a Savior who does. Who sacrificed his life for a bunch of rebellious people. If you don't think he understands how to forgive when you would rather be uh, feeling unforgiveness, then you've never hit your knees and surrendered to him. This morning you go I don't even understand anything you're saying because I don't even know what it means like to be in fellowship with God. This Mother's Day, you can find out what it means to have a loving relationship again, outside of the flesh of your family into the eternal arms of your Savior. Let's pray, God, thank you this morning for who you are. That you love us despite everything we do to you. That you're gracious and forgiven in the face of all that we do. This morning, God, I pray for each and every person here. If they've come here, God, with a fractured marriage, today we surrender that to you. And maybe they've come here today with some deep-rooted unforgiveness. And, Lord, today I join with them as they try to get that rooted out of their life through you. God, maybe today someone's come here and they know, man, if something tragic happened to me, all I would know is separation. I I lift that person up to you. When we stand accountable to you in the end, there's no fingers being pointed at anyone else but ourselves. Today I pray for each and every person to take hold of their life, to let the fruit of the Spirit come in and replace the emotional struggles they're having. And God, that through surrender, you can set them back on a healthy path to what you have. With every head bowed, every eye closed, I want to give you that chance this morning. If you're here and you go, man, I'm struggling. I'm struggling more than you even know. I want to give you that chance to publicly make that surrender this morning in front of everybody that says, not only am I holding the enemy accountable for the losses that I'm having, but I want you to help me in my journey. And you'll know that there's a loving group of people who wants to lock arms with you in that journey, to let you know that we got you along the way. If you're here this morning, I want you to know the altar is open and we are extending it to you to come forward to seek God for whatever you're facing. This morning, if you don't feel compelled, I would challenge you in this time to allow God to work through your prayer at your seat, that you would begin to allow God to work in the things deeply rooted in your life as he begins to mold you and form you into the person he created you to be. This morning, I ask you to pray whether it be at the altar or in your chair, as God begins to work in your life.